The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 9, Of Free Will, Paragraphs 1 and 2. God hath endued the will of man with that natural liberty that is neither forced nor, by any absolute necessity of nature, determined to good or evil. Paragraph 2. Man, in his state of innocency, had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably, so that he might fall from it. Most of us of a certain age know what is being talked about when someone starts firing out letter and number combinations like C3PO, R2D2, or even, in the more modern age, BB-8. These are all, of course, famous robots from the world of Star Wars, My own personal favourite isn't from a galaxy far, far away. Instead, it is Buck Rogers' little companion, Tweaky. And his famous noise, Beady Beady, is how we start today. You see, while these robots make us smile and at one time have been the basis of our visual entertainment, you and I are not robots. And chapter 9 of the Westminster Confession of Faith makes that absolutely clear. Sometimes the Reformed faith is criticised. We are told the Reformed faith has turned humanity into robots. God is sovereign. He does what he wants. We're just little pawns in his game. But that is simply not the case. The opening paragraph of chapter 9 tells us exactly that. That God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty. That it is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. In plain English, we're not robots, say the Westminster Divines. A more recent commentator called G.I. Williamson puts it this way, Man is free to do what he wants to do within the limits of his ability. We have a natural liberty, making decisions based on what we think is right and wrong. Surely you have seen that already today. You woke this morning at a certain time as directed by yourself the night before, 6.30 was the time that you had to get up, you planned to go to the gym, instead you lay in the 7, that was your decision. When you got down into the kitchen, you wanted to have a healthy breakfast, you'd bought a lovely avocado and you were going to cut that up like you saw on that TV program, instead you reached for the Cocoa Pops, that was your decision. And the rest of your day will be following along in those exact lines. And nature is not determining these things, you're not being forced to either good or evil, You are not a robot. God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty. And we see that throughout the scriptures. 
sometimes when we choose to sin, we can blame God. We can say, well, we're just little pawns in his game. We're chess pieces on a board. But as we read in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The scriptures are clear. There is no room in the human race to say, well, God made me do it. We freely choose to sin. And just in our natural state, as we are dead in sin, we will always choose sin. So when God renews us and restores us, he enables us to choose Christ. That is a free decision that he has enabled in us. We see that in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, when Moses challenges the people. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, says Moses, that you and your offspring may live. When we decide to follow Jesus, when we are freely choosing Christ, it is because the Lord has renewed us by his Holy Spirit. He has caused us to be born again. But our choice, our decision to accept Christ is our own. And so whether we are dead in sin or alive in Christ, we have that natural ability that is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. Again, the scriptures speak to this. Jesus in Matthew 17 and verse 12, speaking about John the Baptist, says, But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Sometimes you hear that question, don't you? Poor Judas, he was simply once again a pawn in this divine game. Those individuals did not have a clue what they were doing. And we feel sorry for them and we wonder if God is unjust. Absolutely not. Those who harmed John the Baptist did so because they wanted to. They were pleased to do it by their own free will. And Jesus speaking again in John 5 and 39 to 40 says to his listeners, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. These individuals, knee-deep in the word of God, constantly being pointed to Christ, still refused to come to him, because they were not forced, they were not coerced, and the scriptures leave us no room even to blame the devil. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, we are told, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James is clear that if we fall into sin, we have no excuse to say, The devil made me do it. The moon made me do it. It's the time of the year. God made me do it. I'm simply a pawn. I have no choice. Absolutely not. We are free to do what we want within the limits of our ability. In the midst of either spiritual death and in the midst of spiritual life, we are still not robots. God is sovereign, but we remain responsible. The teaching of paragraph one of this chapter is true of every single human being in every spiritual condition in every single age. Later in this chapter, 
Paragraph 3 will show us, in relation to our free will, what we lost. Paragraph 4 will show us, in relation to our free will, what we gain when we come to Christ. And paragraph 5 will point us to the future when we will be made perfect. But as we continue today, we move to paragraph 2, which shows us what we were in the very beginning. It states, Man in his state of innocency had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably, so that he might fall from it. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, Before the fall, he writes, human beings had the moral capacity or the moral ability to choose righteousness and obedience before God. Let me restate that. Before the fall, human beings had the moral capacity or the moral ability to choose righteousness and obedience before God. In the beginning, man was made in God's image and it was very good. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 states, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. In the beginning, God made humanity. Humanity was made in God's image. Humanity was made, like everything else, very good. And so, in that state of innocency, humanity had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well pleasing to God. It is this that Sproul speaks about when he states that we had the moral capacity or the moral ability to choose righteousness and obedience before God. This was the wonderful, joyous place in which humanity stood, and from which humanity fell. You see, as paragraph 2 continues, it tells us that we were made mutable, or in plain English, we were subject to change. Now, we've already heard in this podcast that our God is immutable. He cannot change. The God of eternity is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is without variation or shadow due to change. But, as we read here, humanity was made mutable, so that we might fall from that lofty position where we had power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God. We see that in the scriptures. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Once we were able to choose righteousness and obedience before God, but our hearts have sought out many schemes. And in Colossians 3 and verse 10, we receive some hope, because having put on the new self, says Paul, we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When someone comes to faith in Christ, the work of sanctification begins. Every single day, by word and spirit, we are being made to look more like Christ, and that will be perfected one day. But these verses speak to the truth that we were made mutable. Right in the beginning, we see in Genesis 2 and verses 16 to 17, the Lord speaks to Adam and Eve. He says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it 
you shall surely die. Adam and Eve, as we've heard in paragraph one, are neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. Adam and Eve do not have to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve do not have to disobey God. They are not forced by the position of the moon in the sky. But we see what happens in Genesis 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Adam and Eve, made in the image of God, and in their state of innocence, had freedom and power to will and to do that was good and pleasing to God. And yet here we see their mutability, their ability to change. And so they fall after deliberately disobeying God and taking off the fruit and eating. You see, in the beginning, we had the ability to sin, but also the ability not to sin. Let me state that again. In the beginning, we had the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. But as a result of the fall, we have lost our ability not to sin. Today, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good a Saturday you seek to have, at some point, somewhere, you will fall into sin. And not only that, the fact that there is breath in your body means that you were born in sin. It is, as David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here is the tragedy of the fall. The curse rests upon the human race. In Adam all fell. We have lost this ability not to sin. We still have free will, as we read in paragraph 1, but we have lost this ability not to sin before a holy God. Our free will today is not neutral. It has been corrupted and tainted in every respect by sin. And this is the condition that we find ourselves in. And yet, of course, today there is hope. The Lord promises in Ezekiel 36 and 25 to 26, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here in this wonderful passage, we see the hope that we have in Christ. Even in the face of our inability to choose righteousness and obedience before God, even in our fallenness, today the Lord God Almighty extends the hand of friendship to sinful human beings. And so in the coming weeks, we will discuss and consider the result of this fall. In paragraph 3, we will see in all the gory details what we have lost as a result of Adam's disobedience. But thankfully, in paragraph 4, we will see the results of when God converts us to saving faith in Christ. And in paragraph 5, we will hear the completed work, the final work, when we are made perfect in the state of glory. But as we close today, considering man's free will and man's losing of his ability not to sin, we finish on an entirely positive note. Because today, you, by your free will, chose to listen to this podcast. You decided, at the suggestion of your wee granny, that you would download this and listen to it on the way to work. My friends, you decided to do it. 
you are not forced, you are not coerced. And today, if you would be set free from the bondage that you have fallen into because you are in Adam, I call upon you this very hour, this very moment, this very day, to choose Jesus. Here are six questions for you to consider. Question one. Why do you not have any room to blame someone else for your actions? Question two. How would you respond to someone who feels that poor Judas Iscariot had no choice? Question three. According to R.C. Sproul, what did humans have before the fall? Question four. God is immutable. Humanity is mutable. What do we mean? Question five. Faced with the devil's lies, Adam and Eve had no choice but to sin. True or false? And question six. Before the fall, we had the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. Which one did we lose? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess.